Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We're going recorded only on this lovely little Wednesday, April the 26th. Welcome one and all to Fantasy NBA Today, the Sports Ethos presentation. I am Dan Vespris. Thanks, as always, for hanging out with us here. Today on the show, we'll be covering the Charlotte Hornets. I know I'm running a couple days behind what they're doing over at Sports Ethos HQ because they actually just dropped their uh, Indiana Pacers season wrap. But we're always going to be lagging. We're a lagging indicator. Doesn't make any sense. It's the improper use of uh, the term lagging indicator. We are just lagging. Just straight lagging. We're a couple days behind. Which, I, honestly, I'm okay with because I think there will be uh, a day or two in there where we catch up. Where maybe I don't have a season in review or a lesson learned item that I want to go over. Or, uh, you know, the last old man squad chunk or something like that. So we'll catch up. We are uh, a team behind right now, which, eh, not a big deal. But today the Charlotte Hornets are on the table. And they are a relatively interesting one because... The Hornets were a team coming into this season that I think it was was always a little bit of a toss-up because last year, last season, the Hornets were 43-39. and 39. They were the 10 seed in the Eastern Conference. If they had repli- replicated 43-39 and 39 this year, they would have been the 8th seed in the East. The East became a bit more top-heavy, so I don't know how even a healthy Hornets team had any shot of getting to 43-39, and 39, but they let their, their coach go. They were going to bring in Kenny Atkinson. He bailed out last minute, and then they went to Steve Clifford for a second go-round, and then all of a sudden, everybody was just hurt. None of this made any sense is where I'm going with this, the first part of this discussion. Because by all accounts, the Hornets had you know, almost the same team season over season last year to this year. Gordon Hayward was still there. Terry Rozier was still there. Uh, LaMelo obviously was still there. P.J. Washington was still there. Mason Plumlee was still there to start the year. They brought in a couple of young guys like a Mark Williams. Uh, mostly a Mark Williams. Kelly Oubre, who was set to have a a seemingly larger role. I mean, the changes were relatively minor, by all accounts. So, the question of kind of what went wrong, well, LaMelo Ball is the very simple answer to what went wrong. LaMelo played 36 games this season. The Hornets actually weren't terrible when LaMelo was in the lineup. They weren't great. But it's not like they were great last year either. But they weren't terrible when he was in there, especially once he kind of got up to, like, normal LaMelo speed. And actually, if you look towards the end of the year, the Hornets won the last five games that LaMelo appeared in, which February 27th was his last game this season, and then, you know, it all came back apart again. But, you know, again, I don't want to, like, go out on a limb and say they were good. But, like, if you look at where he was ramping up when he first came back from that initial injury, he played three games, doesn't even really count. Then he came back in mid-December and was kind of trying to find his footing. 
And it took a little bit, but, you know, they were a little sub. They were like four and six or four and seven or something like that. And then they had a really tough stretch where they lost a bunch of games to Toronto and Boston. But then once they kind of, again, once he found his footing, they became about a 500 team for a month between late January and late February. Pretty much. They won. What did they win? Missed a couple of games in there too, I think. But LaMelo was, what is that? 3 and 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Yeah, they went 8 and 7. LaMelo's final 15 games with the Hornets. So you could look at this team and you could basically just say that it was LaMelo Ball. And if he was healthy for an entire season, maybe they would, they would have been around a 500 ball club. But they had other stuff that went wrong too. And maybe that's the trickle-down effect of the LaMelo Ball stuff, where when he's out, nothing goes right. But Terry Rozier was incredibly inefficient this season. Kind of managed to salvage his year with a pretty good stretch when LaMelo was in. That was, that was the big deal. Um, no Miles Bridges, for reasons we all know. That was the big one for this year. And that's, that's going to be... Uh, a situation, I don't know how it's going to shake itself out, but if we've learned anything over the years, it's that teams eventually stop caring about player character. That at some point, the talent wins out. Like, just look at history. And I know we all want to sit here and say, no, this time will be different. And he just, like, he won't be back. I just don't believe that's the case. I think Miles Bridges is probably going to be back. And... It's gross, but I, I just think that that's probably what's going to happen. So no Miles Bridges, no LaMelo Ball for injury. And so the Hornets were sort of given carte blanche to suck. Terry Rozier was bad as a lead ball handler. We've seen he's much better as an off-ball guy. Gordon Hayward is probably the one player you can point at and kind of wag your finger and say, nope, that dude was actually just different. Gordon Hayward was just worse. And perhaps it's perhaps it's an age thing with him. You know, maybe he's on the wrong side of prime Gordon Hayward. He's been around for a decade, which, you know, it's not like he's not an aged man born in 1990. I think he just had a birthday like a couple weeks ago, but 33 is not young for NBA, especially someone who's been injured. We'll say oft injured NBA player. Um, and even if you look at the last couple of seasons for Gordon, it's been a downward trajectory. Steals were lower last year and even lower this season. Three-point percentage was one of the worst of his career this year and just kind of stopped taking and even making them. Free throw number was below his career mark. A lot of stuff was down for Hayward. And we could say, oh, well, you know, playing through injury, blah, blah. I mean, he's been injured for four years in a row. 52-44-49-50 are the games played. And I know there were a couple of 70-some-odd game seasons in there. So, you know, slightly less awful for two of those years, but pretty awful for all four, more or less. But we're talking about a guy that used to be around a 50% dude. And for a long stretch, uh, and, and he was at 47.5 by the time this season ended, so the field goal percent at least kind of came around for him. But the three-point percent didn't. The total number of threes didn't. This is his lowest number of three-pointers in his career, including his rookie season. This was his lowest. 
Free throws was his lowest, including his rookie years. Two years, rookie and sophomore. This is his lowest free throw percent of his career. One of the lowest number of free throw makes of his career. Rebounds have always kind of been in this range, but those are a little bit lower. Assists were right on the career mark. Same with turnover. Steals were down. We may just be witnessing the beginning of the like official downturn, even on a per-game basis for Gordon Hayward. But how does that translate to what the team was able to do? I mean, when he's in there for them, he's been a pretty good glue guy, like a, an efficient ball mover, heady NBA player, like all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, this Hornets season came down to Miles Bridges getting himself into a very hot legal situation, an ugly one, mind you, and then LaMelo Ball playing less than half the year. So I'm inclined to believe, and, and you know, we don't have the lottery yet, but the Hornets did have the fourth worst record in the NBA this season, so they'll have a relatively good pick in some capacity. They'll put another good pick in the bucket here. They'll get some decent young player to, to pile on top of whatever else they got going on. But the only guys that, I mean... It, if we're talking about dudes that are coming off the books, it's really just Kelly Oubre. At least in terms of guys that actually were, you know, heavily involved. The young dudes, they can retain P.J. Washington, I believe, is a restricted free agent, so they could keep him around if they wanted to. They unloaded Mason Plumlee to clear out room for guys like Mark Williams and Nick Richards, so that's all good news for the, the young man front court. Rozier's still around for a while longer. Even Gordon Hayward has one more year. I would assume that on a young team, he probably ends up on the trade block. But, you know, I think that's whether they're trying to make the playoffs or not, he probably ends up on the trade block. I think they'd probably rather have a healthy Cody Martin come into his own and play a little bit more there. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. All that to say that I think going into next year, if we're looking at this season, we're like, oh, we should have known the Hornets were going to be a disaster with no Miles Bridges. You know, Yelmelo Ball, uh, I don't think coming into the season... We thought that the Hornets were going to be full tank, and they didn't really full tank until the final, eh, like, two to three weeks. Which, again, if we're ending our leagues a month early on the head-to-head side, that type of stuff shouldn't even creep in. You would have gotten P.J. Washington to the end of your head-to-head season if you ended a month early. You would have gotten even Terry Rozier to the end of your head-to-head season if you ended a month early. The guy you wouldn't have would have been LaMelo, 
And Ubre had a real injury in there. They he, they went and they maybe he would have played through it if they were competitive, but like he missed a bunch of time in the middle of the season with a real injury, and then he then they shut him down with a couple weeks to go. Lamella was just hurt all year. That's the one where you're like, it doesn't matter when you end your head-to-head season. So leaning towards next year, we can see all of this stuff. I think the Hornets probably try to go back to competing next season. I might be wrong, but my gut feeling is that they've kind of already got their franchise cornerstone. That's LaMelo Ball. If he comes out next season and can't stay healthy again, they may have to pivot off of whatever this sort of medium long-term plan is right now. But as it stands right now, a healthy LaMelo Ball, along with whatever the hell they do with some of the cap space they come into here with Oubre and some other guys coming off the books this offseason, they should be competitive. Maybe it goes the other way. We don't know yet. Maybe it has to do with what pick they get in the draft. But I just, I don't think that this team wanted to tank this year. They were sort of backed into it by missing basically two, maybe their two most important players. And again, like, let's, we can't really ignore what's going on with Miles Bridges, but just try to compartmentalize what he was for that team versus what he now has revealed himself to be as a as a off the court situation. Um, but this team missing their two probably their two best players, they were just sort of gifted a tank year, and you could say that about Steve Clifford also. I think the Hornets for all of their issues this season, and they only had one player by totals that finished inside the top 100. For all of their issues this season, this is a team that probably profiles as a pretty good fantasy team for next year. LaMelo Ball is always going to be a tiny bit overdrafted because uh, turnovers are high, so 8-cat is going to push him a little higher up the board. Um, Field goal percent is quite low, so points leagues are going to push him up the board. His field goal percent does more negative than his free throw percent does positive. So his ADP is always going to exceed his nine category range. But he, if you believe he's going to be healthy, should have a pretty good fantasy season. I would expect kind of a bounce back year from Terry Rozier. If only because, and it's funny when you look at a guy like Rozier, because you're like, oh, well, the points are still there. And like he was always sort of a, a punt field goal guy anyway. What was so different about this last year? Well, the number of shots was up and the field goal percent was down. You know, we had LaMelo feeding him and hey, a healthy, I don't know. I'm going to try not to say this in a mean way, but Gordon Hayward kind of looked chunky this year. So when Rozier was able to play off of those guys for two seasons in a row in Charlotte, and frankly, all three, he was 42% or better. First year in Charlotte when he was kind of the, the lone wolf there, he shot 42%. Last two seasons, 45 and 44 and a half, and then this year, 41 and a half on an extra three shots per game. So his usage was way up, and his value went down because his field goal percent became a almost a catastrophic negative. His free throw percent came back down, although that's bounced around a bit throughout his career. Turnovers were up. Assists were up a tiny bit, but you kind of needed more of those given the, the big bump in usage. Terry Rozier, 
You see a bounce back. Maybe he doesn't go quite as high as he did the previous two seasons where he was sitting at 45%. But 42, 43 seems well within the range of possibility. And so you give him a little bit more of that efficiency stuff. And he's one of the rare cases. You know, we talk about on this show that usage is value. Terry Rozier was the outlier there. Usage did not equate to value. Another player that I remember that fit that mold was Josh Richardson when he went from being a big-time steals blocks uh, wing guy who got you some threes and a little bit of scoring to you're the main dude, and he just started chucking, and everything just fell off a cliff. At least with Rozier, the steals pretty much stayed where they should have been. But in terms of a bounce-back possibility, his is very much on the table, and he's signed with the Hornets forever, seemingly. I mean, that was a long deal. Gordon Hayward, no. LaMelo Ball, I think, will probably be overdrafted. I like LaMelo. I think he's a lot of fun to watch. Um, Two seasons back when he did mostly stay healthy, or not this year, but the previous one, I thought he was one of the most exciting players to watch in the NBA. And then, you know, injury stuff. But eh, he's going to be a tough guy to sell me on for 9-cat. At least a guy that to sell me in terms of beating at ADP. At the front court spot, we don't really know exactly what's going on there, but I would certainly lean in the direction of Mark Williams. If they end up splitting the Williams-Richards center minutes, both of those guys could end up with some fantasy value. So that's something that's on the table. They could go small, run P.J. Washington at center. If, indeed, Miles Bridges is back with the Hornets, that puts the center spot in uh, severe jeopardy. Although, uh, with Ubre likely somewhere else, then maybe you, sleep, you see Hayward slide down a little bit. Does that open up a couple extra minutes? Maybe. But it's not like... So here's the thing. P.J. Washington can play the four and the five. Mark Williams and Nick Richards can't. They will only get what's left in the center bucket. So even if P.J. Washington only gets, like, six center minutes per ballgame, that slices what Mark and Nick... I, we're on a first-name basis now, can have from, you know, 24 apiece to 21 apiece. This is a big deal. So the center spot is questionable. That makes P.J. Washington a little bit questionable. This is all hinging on this idea of whether or not Miles Bridges is back quickly. Uh, his suspension, they, they deemed a lot of that time served already, so he wouldn't even have to miss all that much time at the front end of next year. Oh, God, I don't know. I mean, like, selling someone that they can go draft Miles Bridges is like, are you okay with being a gross individual if you want to win your fantasy season? I haven't. Uh, I feel like you can win your league without having to do it. But from a value standpoint, he probably does end up being one. Ugh, I hate to say that out loud. I'm personally not going to draft him. But if you're like, Dan, do you think he beats his ADP? The answer is probably yes on the Bridges front. But I'm not going to do it. I would encourage you to also take a similar stand, but I can't make you. Um, so I'll just give you the information that I think is in my head, and you guys can do with it as you so choose. For What I don't know is where Terry Rozier is going to get drafted. To me, that's maybe the biggest... We know that Mark Williams and Nick Richards are going to get drafted probably towards the edge of the top 100. Like, these types of players, they come and they go, 
And I like Mark Williams a lot, and, and I like Nick Richards. He almost won me a fantasy league before they decided to go into the, the three-center goofball round-robin thing towards the end of the year. Uh, I like I like the fantasy stuff. Everything about that is cool, but I'm not over the moon about them getting giant minutes because they'll both be healthy and P.J. Washington could slide up. I think we probably saw a best-case scenario for P.J. Washington this year, which was number 96, played in 73 ball games, got 13 and a half shots per game. Um, you know, again, if Bridges is back and LaMelo plays all year, I just, I don't know how his shots and opportunity stays as high as it was. So the guy you're looking at then in terms of who, because a lot of what we do on this podcast is who's ripe for kind of a, a bounce back sort of year. And that guy would be Rozier because he finished at number 95 on a per-game basis, and then they shut him down down the stretch, so by totals, he was just outside the top 100. After the uh, previous season, where... Where did Rozier... I mean, he finished like around the top 50, I think. Better. He was number 30. The free throw percent was... That was one of the weird sort of high years for him. The threes were great. He had three of them per ball game. I, you know, I don't think he gets back up to number 30. Maybe he does. But Rozier was a guy who was getting drafted in like the the 40s, 50s, sometimes 60s this season. So he did end up disappointing. We did. I think we just talked about him about on Old Man Squad stuff. His ADP was like was it 50 something on the ADP? I forget. Uh, doesn't matter really for our discussion. He underperformed it. But that was after two seasons where he was being dramatically underdrafted and. It still felt like he could have been underdrafted this year if he had the same job, which he didn't. They messed up his job. It messed up his numbers. And if he slots back into the proper role next year, you could see Rozier bounce back from that 90 range up towards 50 again. It didn't take much for him. I mean, the big thing here is field goal and free throw percent. Field goal percent went from a small negative to a gigantic one. Free throw percent went from a decent positive to kind of like net neutral this year. And you just, like, you took everything else, left it the same, and dragged two things way down the board. Yeah, that's going to kill you. You turn him into a punt field goal guy. If you punted field goal for Rozier this season, he's pretty much back where he was last year. He jumps all the way to number 42, which is pretty much where he was last year. That's not even dealing with the fact that the free throw number came down. But look, he's not going to take 19 shots a game next year. I don't care how many Kelly Oubre was taking. LaMelo's the guy who's going to be orchestrating, and then everybody else is going to be getting their stuff around that. Let's talk a little bit of NBA postseason. Yesterday... Yesterday, I came on this podcast, and you guys were like, hey, which of the uh, underdogs do I think really fight until the bitter end? And I said, I thought the first two underdogs would fight till the bitter end, and then actually it turned out that all three fought till the bitter end. And that's the thing about the playoffs. It's really hard to say no to getting double-digit points. Unless you feel like the favorite is just like a crushing machine... And I didn't feel like that about any of these three teams. I still don't feel like... I, I thought Phoenix might win by double digits because it felt like the Clippers would just sort of run out of gas. And there was a stretch in there where Phoenix was up by double digits, but it didn't hold. 
Um, the other two, Denver's not, you know, uh, they're not a, a throat-cutting, chest-stomping type of ball club. Those teams are the ones that are lasered in on defense and just suffocating teams. And I don't know that we've seen any team like that in this year's postseason. The Knicks might be the closest, and part of the reason they've been able to suffocate and throat stomp is because the Cavs have been a disjointed offensive mess. I don't think that it would look quite the same way if the Knicks were playing against a competent offensive ball club. Who else? Pick another team in these playoffs that looks like one that could get up in a series and then just deliver a death blow. Boom, out they go. The team you might have thought would have been the Bucks, but playoff Jimmy Butler has rendered that a, a foolish prediction. Boston hasn't been that all year. Early in the season, they were historic offensively, and it sort of turned them into this, all right, well, we'll just, you know, we'll just take care of business. Like, we'll beat teams. They're decent defensively, but they're not as locked in as they have been. And sure enough, Atlanta got a game winner. They fell behind by double digits, but they never rolled over. Minnesota, they were right there the whole damn ball game. Jokic scored five straight points with like 45 seconds to go, and that was the difference in it. And kudos, even to the Clippers, they took a terrible Russell Westbrook game, and they damn near pulled it off because Nick Batum went crazy off the bench. And they shot 37 free throws was also somewhat helpful. But again, like this is why, but it isn't even about necessarily the underdog. It, it is partially about it, but it's partially about whether or not you believe that any of the favorites with a chance to close it out, laying double digits, was the put-you-away kind of team. We have a double-digit spread today. The Bucks are laying 12, but that's not a closeout game. That's a stay-alive game. Um, and I, 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 you know, this is like one of the ones where I look at it and like, yeah, like I understand this, this double digit spread because Jimmy Butler used every ounce of strength he had in that last ball game. And, you know, maybe he doesn't have quite the same motor for this one. I guess we'll see. There's just no, I would never, never lay double digits in a playoff series, except for those very extenuating circumstances. And, and this certainly doesn't fall into it. I understand this line a little better than I understood the ones yesterday, but I still wouldn't touch it. Total of 220 and a half in this ballgame. Uh, if you want to look back at the last one where playoff Jimmy did his thing, Miami won that game 119-114. So by that account, it would go over this number. That line was actually 217, and so they ratcheted back up here uh, for game five, which... Eh, at some point, someone's going to stop somebody in this series. I would lean to the under in this one. If you're like wondering how do we get there, I just think the Bucks are far better defensively, and they'll try to take Jimmy Butler out of the mix. Because like the rest of the Heat were not very good in that last ball game. Caleb Martin had a decent shooting game, but the rest of the Heat were were pretty bad besides Jimmy Butler, and they won it. So you know the Bucks are going to have a different game plan. I think defensively is where that's going to come, and so I would lean to the under. Knicks, Cavs, Cleveland, five and a half point favorites at home. Knicks uh, with a total of 202 and a half. Yeah, this number is way low. If you're looking at it, you're like, oh my God. Well, these games keep ending in the 190s, so they're sort of finally getting down there. Um, I don't know, man. I, like, the Knicks have been good, and they've been a pretty good road team this year. 
And I guess the one thing is, if you look at this last ball game, Cleveland just got demolished on the boards. So there was an effort level deal that wasn't quite there. I don't know about laying five and a half, though. The Cavs haven't shown me anything to think that they're going to lay five and a half. Although maybe you get that big Donovan Mitchell game, and perhaps that's the one that turns this thing around. He's coming off a really bad one. Not a strong feeling on this one. Maybe the world's tiniest lean to the over, like this has finally gotten low enough, but I wouldn't touch it. And then on the side, no thank you. Grizzlies, four-point favorites at home to the Lakers. Uh, Do we think the Lakers are content to try to take it back home and win it in game six? I don't think LeBron is. But off the overtime game, you've got to figure the Grizzlies probably bounce back a little bit better than L.A. The other note is that L.A. won their last ball game getting a dog-do performance from Anthony Davis. So if they now get the better AD game, does that finish this series off? I'm seeing a lot of people playing a little bit of a zigzag thing here where they're like, oh, well, the Grizzlies lost in L.A., so now they're going to go back home and they're going to win it. I'm actually not convinced of that. Uh, total at 223. That's up just a hair. Um, that's around the pace these games have been played. Neither team could hit a shot in uh, in game four, which is you know, why LeBron's 20 rebounds were so critical and and uh, Lakers just making a couple of plays late. That was really the difference in the ballgame. I, I think that this game goes one of two, two pretty different ways. And that's why, to me, it makes it kind of a hard one to wager. I think the Lakers win a close one or the Grizzlies win by, like, 11. I don't think the... I just, like, when you look at the number, Grizzlies by four. If you're betting it, I think there's probably some wiggle room. Like, I don't think the Grizzlies win by five. I think if they win, they win by ten. Something like that. Like, the Lakers just run out of gas or something. But if it's close, I'd be worried if I'm on the Memphis side. So, I think if you're taking the Lakers, you could consider the Lakers on the money line. If you're taking the Grizzlies, you can almost you can feel pretty comfortable laying the points. I'm not getting on the side in this one. The more I watch of the Lakers, though, the more I'm starting to think that my slight homerism coming into the playoffs is was like I was trying to adjust for my homerism. Ah, they're not quite as good as I thought they were. They're actually decent. And the one thing I said on Twitter, I don't remember if I yelled it on the podcast, but on Twitter, I was like, the Grizzlies are going to this is a series that's going to be dramatically impacted, impacted by the lack of Steven Adams. And I know Xavier Tillman has been decent. His ability to rebound and screen is just nowhere close to what Adams can do. And Steven Adams will be pushing people around on that Lakers side. Memphis had a ton of offensive rebounds anyway in Game 4. You throw Adams into the mix? That's To me, that's a huge deal. Maybe even a bigger deal than Jaw's hand. Because the Lakers are really focused on him. They were focused on him in the regular season meetings as well. Grizzlies got a big one out of Desmond Bain. Still wasn't quite enough. Do you see, like, a better jaw performance? Maybe. You know, yeah, that gigantic one in Game 3. The one thing I think you can point out in this one and say, you know who we can feel pretty comfortable is going to be a little bit better is AD. Because his shots are close. I don't know, man. I'm not convinced that, that... this one just goes home and, and the Lakers are content to bring it back to their place. I, I think this is going to be a dogfight. 
Warriors, Kings. It sounds like De'Aaron Fox is going to try to play through his hand thing. I just, I, I loved the Kings in this series. Now I can't as much. I know he's going to play through it, but it's going to change things a little bit. And if he's not maximum De'Aaron Fox, I don't know how they do it. So I hate to say it, but I think I'm, I think I've changed where I believe this series is going. And unfortunately, it hinges, it does hinge on the injury stuff. And you guys can yell at me if you want. Hey, he's playing, so it can't be that bad. No, it's the playoffs. He's going to play through stuff because he's a warrior and he's been amazing. But And he's the king's advantage in this series. De'Aaron Fox is the advantage because the Warriors have, have mostly taken out Demonis Sabonis. So if they don't have Fox for the late game stuff, I don't know how they get over that hump. Maybe they do. I'd love, it. I'd love to see them do it. I'm rooting for the Kings. But, you know, my, my heart says, please pull it off, guys. You guys are the young upstarts. Let's see something fun. But my brain is like, eh, if De'Aaron Fox isn't 100%, I don't really quite know how this one pivots. Total of 238. Again, you'd have to look a little bit towards the under if Fox isn't there to keep the engine going. But um, probably leaving this one alone. If anything, I would look at the Warriors. Um, you know, Fox playing through an injury... Does that hurt more than it helps? No, but it certainly isn't good. Four games tonight in the NBA. That's kind of interesting. It's the best word I can use to describe it. I guess I like it. People are like, but I want to watch all of them. Well, oh well. We'll get over it. Small bump in the road. Tomorrow, what I haven't decided tomorrow is, are we finishing up the old man squad or are we doing a lesson learned? We haven't done a lesson learned yet this week. And I want to. I'm going to try to get it back over on YouTube. So we'll hopefully get the simulcast going on Thursday. But it's been a week, man. It's been a week. You know when you're like... I think my schedule could handle like four things going wrong. But probably not five. Well, we hit five. (laughs) No promos today. How's that for you? That's my hugs and kisses to you at the end of the podcast. Not a single promo on today's show other than to say, thanks for listening to Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Vespers. Please do come hang out with me over on social at Dan Vespers. I'm not tweeting that much these days because it's not a lot of fantasy-related stuff, but um, happy to chat with you if you send something my way. And uh, again, we're continuing to recruit here at Sports Ethos and continuing to fill Ethos Leagues and Ethos League waiting lists. You're going to be up on Twitter about that or email roster at sportsethos.com. Have a wonderful, wonderful Wednesday, everybody. We'll talk at you tomorrow. So long for now. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.